If you have your Bibles, open the book of Mark. Uh, we're in a, a Bible study that may last till Jesus comes. I'm not sure. Uh, this, uh, uh, God laid on my heart for this season we're in. How many would agree a lot of things have changed in our culture and around us in the last year or two? Would you agree with that? But, but you know, one thing has not changed, and that is our God and his word. It hasn't changed. But yet, one of the things that really has impacted me as a pastor, I'm in, I'm in my 32nd year as a pastor now, and one of the things I've recognized is this huge shift when it comes to how the gospel is viewed and how the church is viewed. In the past, people would say, it's okay. I, I get what you believe. I just don't believe that. And, and that's okay. I'm just not going to participate or come toward Christ. I just don't believe what you believe. And that was kind of the demarcation line. What has changed now in the last couple of years, and we are understanding from the culture that God has called us to reach, is what we're hearing is this. We don't want what you have because we're not sure that you believe what you believe. It's not that we don't believe what you believe. We're not sure that you believe what you believe. And boy, that cut me to the heart to say, God, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, as, as Christians, as believers, Father, your word is our life. Your word is our truth. But yet there's a disconnect that has happened, and we're calling us to reconnect. We're calling us to realign. We're calling us to, to, to come back to that place and recognize who God is how he works in us and through us. And more importantly, I want you to put this on the screen, that our identity begins to line up with our testimony. That our identity begins to line up with our testimony. I, I put it this way. I don't want anybody telling anybody they're a Christian unless they're living out the truth of God's word. I, I don't want to be a cultural Southern Christian somebody. I, I don't want to say, well, my grandma was at church, my mom was at church, so therefore I am. no. You have to be born again in the name of Jesus. You have to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And when you do, it changes everything. Amen. It changes everything. And I believe this growing cynicism, this withdrawal, really is, is impactful. But I believe God is raising something up in this day. I believe God is raising up people that are saying, we're going after him. We want him evidence in all of our lives. And we want to see who Jesus is and what he does in us and through us. And that's what we're doing in this book of Mark. And today we're in a section in Mark chapter 2 where I just titled this message, Zeal Gone Bad. Zeal Gone Bad. You would think if, if Jesus said that the greatest commandment is that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind... You would think it'd be impossible to have too much zeal, right? Too much spiritual zeal. But, but because of our sin natures, we have a way of becoming so zealous about some things over other things that we can really create a mess unless we align our lives with the true word of God. If you think about it, I, I want to focus on this section of scripture that's on an area that, that honestly, when we get into it, you're like, what? Why? We're, we're going to talk about the Sabbath today. We're going to talk about two stories that involve the Sabbath, and they show the bad side of when we can be zealous for God, but we don't align with his truth, because it is the truth that sets people free, not our opinions, not our passions, not, not, our, not our cause of the day. No, we are people about God's word. So we're going to talk about the Sabbath today. And if you think about it, Sabbath is not something we talk about a lot in our circles today. But, but Mark assumes in his gospel that we get it. And so for just a second, let me just kind of bring you into this and then we'll go into the story. Simply put, the Sabbath means rest. How many are ready for a nap this afternoon? I know I am, okay? But what the rest was this. When God was forming the children of Israel, when he called a people to himself as his chosen people, he gave them the law. 
We, we, we know the first Ten Commandments, right? But as we said last week, there were literally 613 laws that, that were really based on how God related to his people at that time and how they related to him. And they governed their way of life so that they would literally thrive. Now, the fourth commandment that was handed down to Moses on, the, on Mount Sinai, the, the Ten Commandments, was this about the Sabbath. It'll be on the screen in Exodus. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This command, as with all commands of our God, was a gift. It was a gift to his people. It, it, was, it was called holy, which sometimes we have a hard time understanding holy, but holy in the Hebrew meant it was set apart for a special purpose. It was, it was, it was God, so there was a special purpose to it. But it was also a marker that God's people were going to be different than the pagans around them who were into idol worship and, and things that were unbelievable, as you can see in the word of God. It was a marker they would stand apart in their society. So in this agrarian society, they didn't have Uber Eats, somebody, okay? So, so they had to, like, grow their crops. They had to work at it day after day after day. And what God was saying to them is this. He goes, I want you to take a day of rest. I want you, you can work six days, but on the seventh day, stop. And if you do so, I will bless you beyond the other nations that are around you as a proof that you are my people, whether it's planting season or harvest season, if you follow my ways, I will bless you. And church, can we agree today that God does that in our lives? When we follow his ways, we're blessed. When we put him first, we're blessed. We follow his word, we, it's overflowing into our lives. But somehow, as we saw last week, by the time Jesus came to the earth, the religious leaders had taken this gift from God and they'd made it a burden. They'd taken a gift from the Lord, and they made it a burden. Here, originally, it was meant to be a day off. It was meant to be a break. It was meant to be a place where we could recover and renew and spend time with family and with God. And now it became a forced day to focus on God. And with so many man-made rules, you literally couldn't almost do anything. And it became a burden. Guys, listen, God's commands are not meant to be burdens. They are gifts to us. Every one of them has life in them if we understand that. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments. We all get up in arms about Ten Commandments, you know, whether they're supposed to be in public buildings or whatever. The truth is we should just live them out, right? And as we do so, we see the gift of them. Think about it. He says, have no other gods before me. Our God's a jealous God. He loves us. He wants us. He says, don't get into the foreign idols. Don't make any craven images of, of, of idols and worship them. Why? Because the idol worship in that day, we have to understand, it involved heinous acts, even child sacrifice. And God says, not my people. If you look further in the Ten Commandments, it says you don't take the Lord's name in vain. Unfortunately, in the South, we, just mean, we think that means you don't curse. But that's not it. He's saying, don't take an oath on my name if you don't mean keeping it. Don't, don't tell somebody, you know, oh, I, to honor God, I'm going to do this, and then don't do it. He says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Someone think that's a good thing? Yeah. yeah. You should not kill. Good. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal, bear false witness, or covenant. They're all gifts. They're all gifts. But the zeal of the religious leaders and their attempt to regulate the worship of people, in other words, you've got to worship God my way, took this one commandment and made it a burden. So pick it up in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, 
he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, that he is Jesus in the story. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, now, real quick, understanding, okay, it was not unlawful for the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Christ, uh, to, to pick heads as they walk through the grain field, all right? But it was unlawful according to their man-made traditions, according to the extra rules, according to the other things that made them look more pious than others. The Lord said, keep the Sabbath day holy, don't work. But they decided they were going to define what work is. So Jesus said to them, verse 25, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who are with him. That's a story out of 1 Samuel 21, where, where the followers of David literally did break the commandments. But the priests, seeing their hunger and their desperation, took the showbread in the temple and gave it to them to eat. And the Lord used that as an example to say to them, look, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, you're sitting here going, but what does that have to do with me? I'll show you. Because in the next verse, it says that Jesus entered into a synagogue on the Sabbath. And a man was there with a withered hand, chapter 3, verse 1. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. One of the man-made rules was amazing. Think about this. They decided that to do any work on the Sabbath broke the commandment. So they knew there were, there were physicians among them. So in other words, what they were saying is no medical practice could be done on the Sabbath. In their definition, you could take steps that would keep some from getting worse, but you could not do anything to help them get better on the Sabbath. You broke your arm on the Sabbath. Too bad. We'll, we'll, we'll put a little bandage on it, but we can't set it until the sun goes down. Oh, oh, you cut yourself. Okay, we'll stop the bleeding, but we can't put any ointment on there because if we make you better, that's doing work. That's how ridiculous the rules of man came on top of the promise of God. And Jesus, Jesus got a little angry. How many know that Jesus got angry in the Word of God? Do you believe that? But he got angry about the right things. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Jesus is picking a fight now. He could have, think about it, he could have healed this man the next day. He could have come up and whispered and said, hey, see me after service. I'll take care of that. But no, he says, come here. We're going we're to show you guys something today. And he picks this fight. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Can I tell you, there is never a wrong day to do something good. There's never a wrong time to do something good. But they were silent. And he looked around at them in anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch it out. This wasn't Jesus in this nice, mm, you know, the halo kind of thing. He was like, he was angry. He's like, stretch it out. Show these guys who I am. Because he saw the hardness of their heart. And the man stretched out his hand, and it was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now, now just a thought. I don't know how you read Scripture, but when I read Scripture, I always say, God, so what? How do I, how do I fit in this, all right? So, so think about this for just a second. Which is more of a sin against God and a violation of the Sabbath? When Jesus healed a man who, because of his withered hand, was kept from, from participating in society, or when these hate-filled religious men gathered together and plotted how they might murder an innocent Jesus? That's what's happening here. And what Mark has been doing in his gospel is he's been showing this tension arising between Jesus and the religious leaders. These Pharisees we talked about last week. 
who were not bad men. They had great intention. In fact, they wanted to honor God, but in their zealousness, somehow they, they fell more in love with the traditions and the rules than they did with God, and they liked being seen as better than or set apart. I mean, all through Mark's story, we see from the beginning when Jesus showed up, they were jealous a miracle worker, a man that teaches, not like the scribes, but with, with true power and authority. We saw it when he forgave the paralytic. Thank you, Mel, for the mat uh, carriers. You paid attention in sermon. That's good. He healed a man, and, and they said, oh, wait a second. He said he could forgive him his sins. That's blasphemy. And Jesus said, oh, I'm, I'm the son of man. It's not blasphemy. I've come to set captives free. Later, he calls Levi the tax collector, hated by everybody. And then not only that, he goes and eats with his friends, hangs out with sinners, and they say, oh, he's unclean. And then last week, we saw about fasting. They're like, guys, he doesn't even follow the God like we do. He can't be a holy man. He doesn't follow our rituals. I can I tell you, God's not here to follow our rituals. Jesus didn't come to, to, to find his way into our way of doing things. He showed us a whole new way of life. But story after story is showing this escalation between Jesus and the religious leaders is ultimately going to culminate in his crucifixion. And as we read them in this re-series of reconnecting to Jesus, we have to say, well, what does it do with us? How does that change my life? How do I, how do I gain something out of that? I'm, I'm glad you asked. Because we need to understand something about zeal and when zeal can go bad. And you're going to see today some warning that I think it fits all of us. There's warning for those who've served God a long time. Maybe you feel like you're very knowledgeable of God's word. Maybe you even have a little seminary training in your background. There's a warning in this for us. Maybe you're a new believer and you're just starting out and, and I want to help you start out on a right foot. I want to help you start out in a way that's going to lead to life. And maybe you're just kind of in between. Maybe you're just checking this all out and you're like, I'm confused. I'll help you out, okay? So are you ready for this this morning? Yes. Let, let, let it speak to our hearts. So what could go wrong? Where does, how does well-intended zeal for God sometimes go bad? I, I think we got to start with the obvious and that is this this morning. It goes bad when we start adding extra rules to God's rules. It goes bad when we start adding extra rules to God's rules. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. But the religious leader said, no, don't heal and don't snap heads of grain on the Sabbath. So they're adding to what God meant for a gift and made it into a burden. And in our human nature, we can do this, guys. We, we do it. Let's be honest. As parents, we can fall into this trap real easy. We, we know what we want our kids to become. We know what God's word says. And so we, don't, we know there's things we don't want them to engage in or become. So what do we do? Instead of just showing them the truth of God's word, we start setting some, building some other fences before they ever even get to that. And before we create our own house rules that are even more on top of God's word than God's word. And what it does is this. Kids, <laughs> listen, if there's a, a fence in the way, how many know they're going to climb over it? And when you lay out false fences that aren't God's word, but are kind of your extra fences, guess what? When they climb over the first fence and realize there's no consequence, when they get to the real fence of God's word, they're going to have no problem running past that either. Why? Because we're adding something. We're saying God's way is not good enough. I need to add a little more. I got to make it a little harder. Listen, the more fences we add to help God out, the more we're just setting up people to, to fail and not, not find out who God really is. Here's a truth you may want to write down today. God's word does not need an editor. He doesn't need you to take things away from it or add things to it. 
It's one canon of scripture. We don't have version 5.0. We're not waiting for a new translation. It is God's word to us. And anytime we add to God's word or we're trying to take something out of it, what we're saying is God's ways aren't good enough. And there's a warning. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, it says this. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. I don't want to be rebuked by my God. So we take his word. And we, we, we take his word as life to us, and we don't try to add to it. But unfortunately, in Christian circles, I'm going to tell on us as Christians, there are sometimes we are tempted to become what we call legalists. Maybe you've heard that term before. What we're saying is someone who, who adds man-made rules to the Bible, they're, they're legalists. They, they have their own set of rules that aren't necessarily in God's word. But the problem with legalists is they believe it's in God's word. They, they, in fact, they'll find a verse and they'll twist that verse out of context and, and make it into this new rule. And then they get mad at you for not following it. And I've learned a long time ago, don't argue with a legalist because they already think they're smarter than you anyway. So it doesn't really do any good. But legalism claims to be based upon the Bible, but legalistic rules are never found in the Bible. So here's some examples. I, I'm, a, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. My mom was the organist. My dad was the deacon, okay? So I, I think I've had the badges and gold stars of church attendance more than most. And there are some things I saw over the years that you just shake your head out. I mean, here we see the one here. That God says don't work, and that becomes don't heal or make anyone better on the Sabbath. Here's some others. The Bible says don't get drunk. Yet legalist says, no, don't even drink. The Bible says, don't cause a brother to stumble. And what do we say? Don't do anything that might offend anybody. Well, if that's the case, I've learned as a pastor, I can breathe and offend somebody. I, I, can, I can look at them wrong and offend somebody. I, I can point at a, a place in the audience like, Pastor, you were picking on me today. No, I can't even see you. That's why I'm sitting down these days. I can see you better through the lights this way. But we, you got to live, right? Here's one that gets really messed up in church. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the, help me out, Holy Spirit. And the Bible then goes on to warn. So therefore, don't unite yourself with a temple prostitute. What? And we're like condemning people. Well, don't you know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Man, you're carrying 10 extra pounds. What's wrong with you? I mean, come on, somebody. God made ice cream to be consumed. Can I get a witness in the house today? Hallelujah. I feel it now. Come on. Whether it be Bluebell or Briars or whatever your favorite thing is, I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with that scripture. But we take the scripture and we make it into something that God never intended. Now, the idea of taking care of our bodies is in scripture. But it's not this condemnation like somehow you're just not doing it or you're, you're condemning others. Oh, look at them. No, no, no. Let's just look at us. Let's say, God, are we, are we using our bodies to glorify you? That's what should matter. In, in my church growing up, there was one thing that was guaranteed to send you to hell, not pass, go, do not collect $200. And that was if you were addicted to nicotine and you smoked. I remember the evangelist. We already smell like hell. God's taking you to hell. <laughs> and yet he was up there wheezing because he was about 200 pounds overweight and condemning them to hell. Look, guys, when we add extra rules, what we're really doing is this. We're picking and choosing things that we think we can handle and then putting burdens on other people, expecting them to live up to our standards. And we've got to be careful of that. 
We got to be careful of that. There, there, there are things in the Word of God that all of us are to do, but there are other things that that are, are they're, they're important to us as individuals. There was this big debate in Romans 14 and 15. We're not going to read it today, but it was a debate about the new Gentile believers coming in, and, and it boiled down to two things. They were saying, do they have to honor the Sabbath, and should they eat meat sacrificed to idols? And Paul was given this question. And basically, there were two sides. There were some that were like, you know what? The meat was sacrificed to an idol. We can't touch that. That's going to that's gonna make us unclean. And others are like, it's a good filet mignon. You know, it's available because some of the better meats were there. And when they asked him, they said, well, which one of us is right? Here was Paul's answer. Both of you. To you, if you feel condemned for eating that, then don't eat it. But for you, enjoy the filet mignon. In the same way, the keeping of the Sabbath for that setting, was what Paul was saying is this. It's not, it's not a problem when we put extra rules or disciplines in our lives that help us bear fruit in Christ because we're all so uniquely different. The problem is when you take your rules and put them on somebody else. That's where legalism comes in. That's where bondage comes in. And we just start condemning everybody. Well, they, they say they go to church, but they don't read the Bible like I do. Well, the Bible doesn't tell me how much Bible I'm supposed to read. The Bible tells me to get the word of life into me. Well, they, they don't show for every prayer meeting. What's wrong with them? Well, maybe their job is a little different than yours. Or maybe, maybe they're gifted. Maybe they're serving in the food pantry. And they're just tired for being on their feet six hours in the heat. But yet we're always problematic about trying to have these extra fences that we put around ourselves and then we condemn others for not putting them up in their own lives. So we've got to be careful with this. Listen, following the commands of God, the commands don't save us. The blood of Christ saves us. It's our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that saves us. But the commands then flow out of our love relationship with God, not to prove our love or his love to us, but to accept that his ways are right. And it flows out of a life of gratitude and a life of blessing before our God. Now, let's talk about rules for a second. Because, again, I know some of you, and I'm going to get the cards later, so follow me on this one, all right? Before we go any further, let's, let's understand something about the Sabbath. Because you're going to say, well, Mike, aren't there rules or commands of God that found their way from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Because the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, but all the other nine are taught in the New Testament except the Sabbath. You're like, well, well, where does that fit? What are we supposed to do? Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Jesus kept the law until he went to the cross. He followed the ways of Moses until he went to the cross. But on the cross, he said something so critical to our understanding of the word of God, and it is this. He said three simple words. Anybody figure it out? He says, it is finished. It is accomplished. It is paid in full. And in that moment, something very critical happened. In the temple, there was a curtain that separated man from God. Only the high priest could go in once a year to offer sacrifices for the sin of the people, and God said, no more. And he ripped the curtain from top to bottom, a 60-foot curtain, four inches thick, ripped from top to bottom, and said, now, now let me show you how you relate to me. It's not through rules. It's not through sacrifices. It's through a relationship with the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. And it changed everything. And we understand that what he said in that moment is, all those 613 laws, done. Done. 
They were how, how God related to his people in the past. They foreshadowed what Christ would accomplish and fulfill. But now Jesus is the way and how God relates to us. Now, what does that mean to us then as New Testament believers? It means we are responsible to keep the ethical and moral principles of the Old Testament. How many know you shouldn't kill anybody today? Yes. Right? They're not, they're not burdens. Oh, you mean I can't commit adultery? No. That's a gift. Because every sin has a punishment into it itself. It's like heaping burning coals into your lap, the proverb writer wrote. But we've got moral principles that carry through. But the Old Testament laws that were directly to the nation of Israel, such as the sacrificial, ceremonial, social, civil laws, are no longer binding on New Testament believers. But again, where his principles revealed, they reveal the character of God, the nature of God, then we need to bring that forward into our lives. But we've got to be careful. Let me share something with you right now that really I see a lot lately in culture. We like to pick Old Testament laws that prove points we want to prove to our community, whether they have anything to do with us at all or not. And we got to be careful because it's wrong to bring selected laws in the Old Testament forward when the Word of God has shown us Christ already completed that. Let me give you an example. It's not so popular today, but I, years ago I'd always get this from parents. Pastor, my kid wants a tattoo. Isn't there a, isn't there a verse about tattoos in the Bible? And I'd say, yeah, there is. I mean, truly, things have changed. Growing up in the 60s, the only people with tattoos were prison or military, just saying. So things have changed. I think I'm the only person on my staff that doesn't have a tattoo. I'm just too old for it. But they would, I'm like, okay, so I get it. You're wanting to use the word of God to build a fence for your kids so they don't get a tattoo. I get it. Here's the verse. Leviticus 19, 28, be on the screen. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves, for I am the Lord. There you go. They're like, oh, pastor, thank you. We're good. Now I go take care of my teenager. Well, before you do that, you ought to read the verse before that. Because if you're going to follow that verse, you've got to follow this verse. In Leviticus 19, 27, speaking to the men in the congregation, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Number one, I don't have any hair on my temples, and my beard's got a, my beard's got a life of its own. But if I let it get a little more than this, I'm telling you, that little lady's going to shave me in the middle of the night. She'll take it out. <laughs> so when you want to select a law of the Old Testament, be careful because you've got to now take all of them. But don't we do that to our society? There are current cultural issues that are right in front of us. And we go back. There's a verse in Leviticus about that. Okay. But is there, is there something in the New Testament that teaches about that? That's more critical. We have to understand it flows through the cross. The New Testament repeats many of the laws and teaches the principles of the Old Testament, but the Sabbath is not one of those. But we, we have to understand the principle of rest and the principle of setting aside a time for believers to gather and worship is. In fact, the word says forsake not the fellowshipping together. There's a gathering to this. It doesn't mean God's like, oh, I can't believe you went to a soccer game on Sunday. But he says if you're doing that every Sunday and you're never worshiping with the body of Christ, now we've got a problem. Oh, you got to work seven days a week during busy season? Okay. But if you do that all the time, your body's going to break down. You're going to struggle. Your marriage is probably going to suffer. So God says, understand the principle behind this. I, I, I taught a lot on this first point. The other three flow out of there pretty quick, all right? Because what it leads to this, if we don't understand how to take the Word of God and apply the Word of God, then again, we're having trouble with our testimony and our, and our, and our identity, because what we do is this, and that's the second thing. How does zeal go bad? It goes bad when we start using the Bible as binoculars instead of a mirror. The Word of God is supposed to be a mirror. 
Oh, but we like binoculars. <laughs> it's our human nature. Instead of looking into the word and letting it read us, showing us more about God and the path ahead of us to grow and become more like him, we start looking through the word of God to judge others and questioning why they are not where we are or where we think they should be. We sit through a message like today and make no personal application, but man, I can't wait to send it to my five friends. It's okay. Point your friends to it, but let it be a mirror to you first. Because here's the understanding of God's word. It is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. The spirit of God breathes over the word of God. I can preach on the Sabbath of the day and God will say something unique to you because he wants to deal with your heart. But if you're like the whole time thinking, my neighbor needs to hear this, well, you hear it first. And then maybe God will help you see your neighbor in a different light. And instead of condemning them for their lack, you may start leading them through love to the place where they will flourish in Christ. But whenever we make them binoculars, what happens is this. We, we develop what the Word of God calls the log eye disease. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verse 2 says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's hard, isn't it? Because we observe. We, we look. If we truly are followers of Christ, we want people to experience what we've experienced. But there's a fine line between seeing people that are struggling or seeing people that are not moving in the pace that you are. Maybe you have not been as long as a follower. It's too easy to get critical on them instead of remembering that you are where you are by the grace of God and by God's mercy. And you say, say, well, Mike, but I worked at that. You know, I study hard. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a disciplined person. Good for you. That's great. But let them walk in the grace and the mercy of God. doesn't mean we don't speak truth into their lives, but we don't do it to judge them. We do it to bring it forward and say, oh, let me show you what helped me. Let me show you what changed in my life. Listen, it's not our place to use our knowledge of the word of God or our obedience to judge others or to show them that we are better. Instead, we're to compare our obedience and our knowledge to the fullness of both that we find in Christ. And we do that, all it does is point us to the fact that we have a long way to grow. Amen. We have a long way to go. On my best day, I fall short of the glory of God. But he is gracious. He is merciful. And when I begin to see my relationship with him that way, it changes how I see others. It changes how I take the word of God. I'm not going through the word of God looking how I can prove a point to another person. I'm going through the word of God for God to show me who I am. Now I can reflect his love to them. You see, the Pharisees turn God's measuring rod into a competition. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean we don't obey his commands, but we have to recognize something. It's not our place to put confidence only in what we're able to do and judge others by it. And you'll see this in the third point, and that is zeal goes bad and we start majoring on the minors. Zeal goes bad and we start majoring on the minors. I, I, I get so sick to my stomach over the divided church. I, I, I get into conversations. I had, I had to delete Twitter the other day on my phone just because I got tired of the religious arguments over whether women should be serving in church. Do you ever think God sits in heaven just... Because we all think we're right. 
And we all think everybody else is wrong. Listen, truth is truth. Can we agree to that? Amen. And truth is found in God's word. You need, you need to know God's word because you can have beliefs, and I don't care how sincerely you believe them. If they don't align with God's word, they're not truth. One of our generation's problems is we're all into our sincerity. But I sincerely believe I'm right. What well, doesn't matter? If, it, if it's against what God's word says, then you're wrong. Can, can you nod yes? You got a little quiet on me there. Yes? Okay. Jesus said it's the truth that sets us free. So it's important that we study and learn and grow, helping others to grow in the word, but not to separate over minor issues. Paul had to get all sarcastic. I love sarcasm in the word of God. And Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth, which how many know they were a jacked up church? They, they make us look really good. And, and the Corinthian church was having difficulties. And listen to what Paul had to say to them in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. He's saying, I wish you wouldn't gather. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Maybe you don't catch the subtle sarcasm there. What he's saying is those of you that think you're really spiritual, you like the division because it makes you look better. You like the division because it makes you look like you're the one that knows the truth. Oh, we, we don't maybe think of it in the ways of, of being harsh or whatever, but let's be honest. We hear somebody, maybe they're new in the faith, and that, you know, there's a verse they've come to love. And you know, we know Romans 8, 28, God works together for the good of all things, for those who are called according to purpose. We, and they say, oh, I love, I found this scripture in 1 Corinthians 8, 28. And they begin to, and we're like, oh, come on, what a rookie mistake. Don't you know that's Romans? Come on, study a little harder. Or we get into these kind of debates. I believe that there's a certain order to how Jesus is going to come back and how things are going to work out. And so we get in debates. We had a great on-ramp last month. It was so much fun because we got into some conversations that were good. Because theology does matter, but there are certain things in theology that matter more than other things. And so we debate things like this. <laughs> we read Daniel's prophecies or Revelation, and we start quizzing people, are you pre, post, or mid-tribulation? And some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm one that believes in a pre-tribulation rapture. Talk to me after service. You don't know what that means? But you know what I'm really certain about is this. The church will be raptured. Jesus Christ is coming again. There will be a time of tribulation where you do not want to be on this earth. There, there will be a, a coming millennial reign after that before the new heavens and the earth form. But what matters is this. Is if I'm serving God and I'm caught up in him and I'm living for him, it doesn't matter. Oh, it's good to know where we stand on those things, but it doesn't matter. I've had people separate from churches before. Pastor, I just can't come to your church anymore because my wife and I, we're mid-tribbers. Wow, I didn't know that that was a separation point. Good luck. I hope, I hope you're wrong. And deep inside, I think you hope I'm right. Because you would hope the church is raptured before the tribulation. But at the end of the day, does it matter? No. Hope is a mishmash of everything. I don't know if you figured that out yet or not. We've got every background and no background. You can come together and we get into conversations that just get weird sometimes. And we're like, well, I'm a Calvinist. I'm Arminian. I, mean, I don't even know what I was. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a follower in him, but I do know what you're talking about. And I'm not going to get into the argument about it. Because I want him to be glorified, not my knowledge. And that leads to the final point today. Zeal goes bad. When we start to love being right more than we love people. 
And we start to love being right more than we love people. When I quoted earlier the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus said there's a second. It's Matthew 22, 39, the second that is like it. You shall love your neighbor as, help me out, yourself. Guys, we make it so complicated. Jesus purposely picked a fight with the Pharisees to prove something. He picked a fight to show them he is the Son of God. He came to set men free. He said the Sabbath was a gift to man. That's what it was meant to. Don't mess up his gifts. And don't turn them around and make them burdens. See, I don't, I don't believe anybody sets out to be a Pharisee. I really don't. I really don't believe anyone's, it's like, I don't believe people set out to be bad parents, right? <laughs> a friend of mine always puts it this way. He's like, nobody sets out to have dinner at Denny's. It just happens. I think it's the same way when it comes to this. You don't get saved and get baptized and experience the church to turn into a ritualistic, righteous, self-righteous person condemning everybody. But it can happen. And so the point in bringing this in this series of re is to say this, guys, let our hearts be checked before God. Let us come with a sincerity of belief to him and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. Because if our intent is to serve God zealously and to really please him, we've got to be careful that we're not trying to help God out. Because here's what I want to close with. God doesn't need our help. He never has. He never will. So if we're going to be stars in the bright sky, in the dark sky, if we're going to be the light set on a hill, if we're going to be the salt of the earth, then we got to stop playing God. And we got to learn to love people as God loves us.